0: I don't know if you've ever done any woodworking or not, but if you do woodworking, you know that uh, often you're better to follow a pattern than to just start, you know. My dad uh, carved some things. I should have brought them with me. Uh, He carved a chain. He carved a donkey. He carved some things when he retired out of wood. And uh, he always took a pencil and and drew it on there in advance. Uh, He went to the library, got a book, copied the pattern. And then put that on there. When I realized he was using a pattern, it kind of took away the magic in my mind, you know. But that was the best way to do it. Find a good pattern, follow the pattern, and you're golden. You're in great shape. If you sew, you might follow a pattern as well. I grew up watching my mom sew things, um, and uh, uh, she always used patterns for that. My wife, when my daughter was uh, in grade school, she always wore handmade dresses. Uh, and when I say always, I mean always. First grade, second grade, third grade. Esther would show up in beautiful handcrafted dresses almost every day for school that my wife made. And she had good patterns and she followed them closely and she had exactly, she was able to produce exactly what she wanted to. I remember one time in northern Pennsylvania up in oil country, I was uh, visiting somebody. I went into his, uh, his, uh, um, place of work, his workplace. He had what he called a pattern shop. And I'd never heard of a pattern shop before. I said, what do you make here? He said, patterns. (laughs) That's not helping me Um, and I knew it wasn't a dress shop because you know, it wasn't a dressmaker shop because there was all kinds of machinist stuff around as far as I can tell this gentleman had worked for a company that made that crafted things for the oil industry in the mid 1900s. And uh, along the way, he realized, you know what, I'll bet if I made patterns that the company I'm working for would buy them from me. So he started doing that in his garage and eventually he built his own business. Uh, he told me that he made, uh, one of his customers was IBM. This was the early 80s. IBM was a in place. That would be like today if we said one of my companies is Apple that I pr- produce for, Google. And and he said, I produce uh, parts for hard drives for IBM. I said, really? And I was, you know, I love technology. Went into the basement with him, literally the basement. The basement. He had built a pattern and he had a wheel there and, and a saw And he was making hard drive parts on a dirt floor in his basement for IBM. Didn't matter the environment. Didn't matter anything else. If he had a good pattern and he followed it closely, he was able to do that. And he earned a living that way. He he made parts, if I'm not mistaken, he made parts for NASA, for the space shuttle. uh, Just because he could develop the pattern and then he could have men follow it closely. Uh, What I'm telling you this for is this, because I believe that God establishes patterns for us to follow. And they are very good patterns. They are his attributes. And if we'll follow them closely, we will bear the image of God in a way that is glorifying to him, in a way that is beneficial for humankind. We'll be doing a little bit of what Jeff prayed in his prayer. We will be loving God and we'll be loving our neighbor as ourselves. If we can see the patterns that God has established, then we can follow them. These patterns are... His attributes. And I've told you this before. In fact, we talked about this recently. God has two kinds of attributes. He has non-communicable attributes. You know, if I say that's a non-communicable disease, it means you can't catch it. If I have diabetes and I sneeze on you, don't worry. You can't catch diabetes that way. If someone has cancer and they kiss you, don't worry. You can't get cancer. It's non-communicable. If if someone has cardiovascular disease, you can hug them. That's okay. You can't catch that. But there are other diseases, and we know that like nobody else ever knew it before, right? That are communicable diseases. But before I go to there, God's some of God's non-communicable attributes are His omniscience. God knows everything, and you're not going to catch that from Him. You'll never know everything. And, and, and God is all-powerful. And you'll never be the Almighty. There is one Almighty. You'll never be that guy. Uh, you can't catch that from Him. But he has attributes that are communicable, just like the virus that we're in the midst of these days is communicable. But these are good things for you to catch. For example, God is love. And if you have experienced his love, you can catch it. And you can begin to be a man or a woman who loves your neighbor as yourself. God has God is mercy. It's another one of his attributes. And if you've experienced his mercy, then you should be a man or a woman of mercy. And God is just. So... If you've realized that, you should catch that and be fair to all. And God actually demonstrates these attributes just by being. Just by being, he he demonstrates them. But even though we're made in the image of God, and even though he demonstrates these, with everything he does, sometimes following his pattern is difficult. It doesn't happen. (coughs) It doesn't happen automatically. Now, there's a statement that's attributed to Mahatma Gandhi about Christians. There's actually no evidence that Gandhi ever said this. um, But the fact that he never said it and everyone says Gandhi used to say, says must be an important thing. I mean, the the saying itself must be important if we're attributing it to Gandhi. It might actually be the most oft-attributed statement that Gandhi is held responsible for among Christians. It goes like this. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now the fact that that is a popular statement, even though Gandhi never said it, shows, wow, Yeah, we we have trouble imitating Jesus. We have trouble being like him. We struggle to follow the pattern that he has set forth. So what I want to do in the next several weeks, I picked up these patterns from a book called Shame Interrupted by Ed Welch. I like that book. men's group is reading it together on Saturday mornings. We're just about done. What I want to do in the next several weeks is just share some of those patterns that Welch speaks about in his book. Um, These are patterns that God establishes. And I want to remind you, God establishes these patterns simply by being God. They are not external to Him. It's not like God looked at that and says, Love. I think I'll be loving. God is love. You understand? And they are not something upon which He relies. Without God, there would be no such thing as love. Rather, they find their source and their substance in Him. And we are His image bearer. These are His nature. We follow this pattern. And these patterns, when we follow them, they're beautiful, like a, a finely made dress for your beautiful daughter. And these patterns, when we follow them, they're powerful, like a space shuttle. And they can do amazing things. We can do amazing things when we're following God's pattern. So we're going to share with you five of them. This uh, message is to kind of whet your appetite concerning these patterns. I'm going to share all five, and then each week we'll take one at a time. The first of them is that God is a creator who remakes and renews. Now, if you're a Christian, you assume, yes, God is a creator. I'm going for that. He made the heavens and the earth. He made you and me. But we are desperately broken. I mean, if you haven't seen that, if you didn't hear that, even as Mr. Spade prayed today, an awareness of how broken humankind has, then you're completely blind. It's a stark reality and there's no arguing it. But in our brokenness, God comes to us and he offers to remake us and renew us, to recreate us, to redeem us. There's a movie that was out a decade or so ago, maybe longer, called The Passion of the Christ. It's a powerful depiction of Jesus' death. And in that movie, as Jesus is carrying his cross and stumbling beneath the weight of sin that he's about to carry as well as that cross, there's a moment that those who made the movie interject into it that isn't in the biblical account. It's a powerful moment. Jesus, bearing the weight of the cross, stumbles and falls. His mother sees Him. And she runs to Him like any mother would. And He looks at her and He says these words. See, Mother, I make all things new. You understand, this is the God we worship. This is the God we follow, and this is a God that we are called to pattern our lives after. The God who makes all things new. Even though that's not in the Bible, and I'm kind of a stickler for, man, don't take too many liberties when you're telling a story or doing a movie about the Bible. Even though I'm that guy, I love that moment in the film. It may be my favorite moment. Because although there's no biblical account of Jesus doing that on the way to the cross, there is a biblical account of Jesus saying that, and it is at the end of all things. When Jesus, who is seated on the throne in Revelation 21.5, says, I am making everything new. The vice president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance is an African-American. If you were at Mahaffey Camp this past year, you heard him speak. Kelvin spoke there at Mahaffey. This week, maybe it was the week before, He wrote a powerful Facebook post. And in it, he said these words. Dear Lord Jesus, please come quickly. You are the only one who can bring true justice. I feel the same. He knows, I know, you know, that Jesus is the one who can bring True justice, but we also know that we don't have to wait to be able to be part of that and to be made new. That God works in us and recreates us and renews us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Second Corinthians five seventeen says he's a new creation. The old is gone; the new has come. So you and I are not stuck in misery. You and I are not bound in sin. We are not trapped in cynicism. We are not captivated by hatred. We are not overwhelmed by racism. We are not agents of evil. We are, we are agents of healing. We are made renewed to bring peace, shalom. It is a pattern of our Creator who made us in our image. He makes us and renews us and he does it and calls us to do the same. And so as you prepare for communion, as you prepare to receive it, to, to take the cup, examine yourself and ask yourself, is my life one that reveres the Creator who remakes and renews? Am I pattering my life as does he? Are you following his pattern? The second pattern that we're going to discuss is the judge who pardons and justifies. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and as he's hanging there, you have the seven last words or sentences that he says, and among them is this one in Luke twenty-three thirty-four. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. How can he do that? I'll be honest with you, that sentence always kind of bugged me. Just because you don't know what you're doing doesn't make it okay. How can he say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing? I know how he can do it. Because he's paying for that sin. And he has a power to forgive sin. See, Jesus is the judge who pardons and justifies. He has, his, his pardoning is happening with his words. And his justification is happening with his death. He's the judge. Who pardons and justifies. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is John chapter three, verse seventeen, where it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn, and catch that word, to condemn the world, but that all the world might be saved, to save the world through him. Now for some the importance of that verse just kind of slides on by because we're really overwhelmed by John three, sixteen, but this is an important verse. Because a lot of people want to see God as being an agent of condemnation. Almost as though God can't wait to punish. And that is not the picture of God that you see in the Scripture. The Greek word for condemnation, and I am not a Greek scholar, but the Greek word is katerina. It actually appears less than 20 times in the New Testament. I'm not going to detail all 20 of those to you, but Let me talk to you about some ways it is used. It is used of people who are evil and what they do to themselves. For example, in Titus chapter 3, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says to this young pastor regarding some people that are really caught up in in controversies they love to stir up. He says this, he says, You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are, and here's this word, self-condemned. So the condemnation is coming from themselves. God is not the one who's condemning you. It's used again of those whom Jesus chooses not to condemn. This word is used again. It's with this woman in John chapter 8 who's been caught in adultery. And at the end of her story, verse 10 says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life a sin. Did you notice that God's not bringing condemnation there either? Self-condemned, not condemned. Uh, how about Romans chapter 8, verse 1? It's a great verse. It'd be good to memorize. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Is God doing a the condemning there? No. He's declaring that if you're in Christ Jesus, condemnation isn't a thing for you. Most often, it seems... This word, condemn, is used of what they did to Jesus, not what God did to us. For example, in Matthew 20, verse 18, the Scripture says, Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be delivered to chief priests and to the teachers of the law, and they will condemn Him to death. Are you seeing a pattern here? Now, I'm not saying that God never condemns. I believe He does. But what I want you to see here is that fallen, sinful human beings are much more eager to condemn than God is in the New Testament. As Jesus walked this earth, His pattern was to pardon and justify. That's a pattern you and I should implement. Let me give you a few more. Here's the third one. Jesus, God, is the priest who cleanses and atones. He substitutes Himself. Taking the punishment that we deserve upon himself. Islam, Hinduism, Shintoism, Buddhism, these are, there are many ways that Christianity is distinguished from those different religions. One of the biggest ways is the founder of Christianity, <laughs> he died for his followers to atone for their sins. The author of Hebrews says for this reason, speaking of Jesus, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. You know, atone means to cover over. To cover over. He covers over our sins. He cleanses us and he covers over our sins. Wow, I don't know if you've looked at humankind these days, but you know what we're really good at? is uncovering. Ah, look! See what's underneath that guy. See that guy? See who he is? Now we know. We're really good at that. It's part of our sinful nature. The pattern that God gives us is that of a priest who cleanses and covers over. Here's a fourth pattern. God is a king. God is a king who conquers and empowers. The ancients referred to this as Christus victor, Latin meaning Christ, the winner, the victor. His death conquered evil. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 reads, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Christus victor, Christ the victor. But God does not keep that privilege to Himself. He actually gives the power to us to do the same. The power to follow that pattern. He's given you a lot of power in your life. You know, there's that passage in the New Testament where He says to His followers, whatever you bind in heaven will be bound, on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Said, what is He talking about? One of the things He's talking about he wants you to do what he's doing. He wants you to be one who, who empowers other people. You remember when he sent out his followers to do ministry and they returned, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You just played a role in vanquishing evil. Way to go, man. You did good work there. When you look around, do you see evil? <laughs> What a stupid question, right? How can you miss it? Well, listen. God conquers evil. Giving us the pattern and the power to do the same. I can't wait to preach that sermon. And here's one more. He is the Father who forgives and adopts. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The biblical narrative presents a picture of a human race that God made to be his children who have gone astray and who he wants to welcome back in every way to be his sons and daughters. Because he is fantastic at releasing us from our bondage, releasing us from our shame and our guilt. And welcoming us. And it's a pattern He has for us. Who do you need to release from their guilt? Who do you need to forgive and welcome back? You see, God is in the business of creating something. He is in the business of making a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a a people that are His special possession, a troop, to declare His praises. Peter says, all of those things. Are you following his pattern? Communion is a great time to reflect on that very question and give consideration to it. I'm going to ask Gail, did you plan to play a musical piece for communion, Gail? Would you come and do that now, please? And as she comes, I would like you, in the quietness of your heart, to simply pray that God would give you a passion for these things. In fact, I'm going to go back to this screen and you can look up and say, God, help me be someone who remakes and renews. Help me be someone who pardons and justifies. Help me be someone who cleanses and atones. Help me be someone who conquers evil and empowers men and women to follow you. Help me be someone who forgives and embraces. Give some quiet thought to that. Examine yourself before God. And then afterward, we will take the bread and the cup together.